Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. If the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? That was the question the Apostle Paul asked in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, or 14. If the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Friends, whether you realize it or not, we are in a major battle. And it is on many, many different fronts. So who shall arise to the battle? Only those who hear the clear, unequivocal sound of the trumpet. But what trumpet is it? Who's going to blow the trumpet? And where does it come from? What does the trumpet say? Who should actually be hearing the voice of the trumpet? And since when does a trumpet have a voice? Well, the interesting thing is that the ancient prophet Isaiah was told by God in chapter 40 to lift up his voice like a trumpet. Now, how do you lift up your voice like a trumpet? Well, you lift it up so that it sounds very clearly, very distinctly, and it pierces through all of the other din of the orchestra. It sounds precisely and calls attention to the people. So today on Viewpoint, the trumpet is sounding. We're told in the scriptures that the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, And we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. But there are going to be a lot of trumpets sound before the last trump. And today on Viewpoint, a trumpet is sounding. Yes, through the voice of yours truly. Here, to those who are listening, those who will listen, those who have a heart to listen, and those who will tell others it's important to listen. So I'm glad that you joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And the question for you today is, are you prepared for battle? Are you prepared for battle? You say, well, what battle? What battle are you talking about? Well, we're going to lay the the, uh, panoply of the battle out before you here today on Viewpoint. And we'll begin, for instance, with this kind of report. This came just a couple of days ago. Republicans charged Joe Biden with intentional destruction of the U.S. Intentional destruction of the U.S. Do you know what that means? It's another way of saying more kindly, Joe Biden is at war with his own country. Joe Biden's impact on America has unfolded in a wide variety of ways since he took office. Inflation has exploded to nearly 9% actually more like 15%. Fuel prices are in the stratosphere. The southern border leaks illegals like a tissue leaks water. COVID remains a concern, and America's enemies are emboldened and worse. For many, that's all the result of an incompetent, feeble, near-octogenarian who regularly mixes up his words and loses his train of thought. But others now are describing it as a deliberate attack on the nation. That's 
war, friends. That's a declaration of war demonstrated by the actions and words of the one called the President of the United States. As Just the News reported, Representative Jim Jordan cited Biden's threat to withhold school lunch funding from schools that don't follow his LGBT agenda. What would you call that? He said it makes no sense. It tells you this is intentional. The wide open border is no accident. It's deliberate. It's not a sign of incompetence. Those high fuel prices triggered by Biden's cancellation of drilling leases in the Gulf and blocked energy exploration in oil-rich parts of Alaska? Is Joe Biden intentionally destroying the United States of America? According to Liz Harrington, it's intentional. House Minority Whip Steve Scalise expanded in a recent statement noting that Biden approved a pipeline for Russia but blocked one for America. He approved Russia's pipeline, the Nord Stream 2, which builds on top of the Nord Stream 1, which was already supplying Russian oil to parts of Europe. And instead, Biden turned off the spigots in here in the United States and sent leverage to Vladimir Putin. So who's aiding Vladimir Putin? It actually was Biden and Kamala Harris, too, who suggested that the high fuel prices were just part of their intentional scheme even though Republicans had been labeled conspiracy theorists when they suggested it at first. Then, Mr. Biden admitted, admitted, when it comes to the gas prices, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels. In other words, we're intentionally increasing the gas prices. He also said we are in the midst of a turning point, a transition to zero emission fleet. Our administration, together, all of us, is working to make that possibility a reality. So, Representative Jordan said that Biden and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen essentially lied to Americans when they claimed inflation was transitory so Democrats could spend what they wanted. Janet Yellen said this week, we were surprised that we had this kind of inflation. We didn't really see it coming. Yellen's claim, said Jordan, make clear that what is happening under Biden is actually intentional. What do you call that? Friends, this isn't really a political issue. This is, do you have the best interests of your country at heart or not? When you're elected the president of the United States, you swear under God to withhold the to uphold, not withhold, the Constitution. Mr. Biden believes in withholding it not upholding it. In fact, everything he has done, virtually every single decision he has made, has been contrary to the interests of of the country that he swore to protect and preserve. But that's not all. Representative Ronnie Jackson made a statement just a couple of days ago He said in response to the mass shooting in Texas that it's a result of America's moral decline. He was speaking about the deadly school shootings in his state. He said he believes that a look must be taken at the moral decline in the United States as the root cause of such violent acts. He says we've gotten away from family and from God and community and those things are that we must have to embrace again. That's what made this country great, 
and what made this country safe. What he's actually saying is there is a moral and spiritual war against America and against God and against God-fearing Americans. That's really what he's saying. And it's resulting in a massive moral decline and the destruction of American citizens in such events as the mass shooting there in uh, Uvalde and others that have been taking place even since then. In addition to that, Rand Paul now, Senator Rand Paul has come out and declared the danger of a one-world government that is being fostered and fomented by the current president of the United States. It's not a conspiracy theory, it says. This is being fleshed out by many of the world's richest and most powerful people gathered in Davos, Switzerland, and it's happening right in our sphere. It's a nightmare. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. shall arise to the battle unless the trumpets sound a clear and piercing sound. Who is arising to the battle and what is the battle? Is the battle a political battle? Is the battle a moral battle? Is the battle a spiritual battle? Is the battle a sexual battle? Is the battle a, uh, a biblical battle? Is the battle between the sexes? Is the battle between who knows? Just about everything has become a battleground now, hasn't it? Nothing is settled. We're going to find out even in Israel, nothing seems to be settled. The battle is not just in the United States. The battle is all over the world. The world has become Sodom and Gomorrah. The world has become Egypt. The world has become Edom. The world has become Babylon. The world has become a battleground, and the battleground is getting more and more intense. Just in the last couple of days, reports have come through from those who uh, have been observing Vladimir Putin and his declarations coming out of Russia with regard to Ukraine, believe that he is preparing for some form of nuclear warfare, that his pride is on the line, His view of Russian's glory and the restoration of Russian glory is so important to him that he will employ nuclear war. Is that true or not? Those are viewpoints. And the viewpoint of Vladimir Putin could very well determine the destiny of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. In fact, one leader in Russia said that just four of their rockets would destroy the entire eastern coast of the United States. He just said that last week. So, wars and rumors of wars. That's what Jesus said would take place in our time, didn't he? Wars and rumors of wars. Will we have wars 
and we have rumors of wars, and then we have a lot of other kinds of wars that people have not necessarily considered to be war, but we're finding more and more that they are war. For instance, the war against genuine the Republican form of democracy. And by Republican, we're not talking about a political party. We're talking about a republic. That's what our founders gave us, a representative democracy. But just last week, Peter Navarro was arrested on an indictment charging him with contempt after he refused to comply with the House panel investigating the January 6, 2021 incidents at the U.S. Capitol that is setting a precedent, according to the liberal Harvard Law professor, Alan Dershowitz, who said it is dangerous to democracy what that panel is doing in the name of democracy. They're lying. They're actually waging war on democracy in the name of democracy. You talk about subterfuge. Well, subterfuge is exactly one of the keys in waging war, isn't it? They're waging war. Waging war against whom? Waging war against anybody that doesn't support globalism. The liberal professor Alan Dershowitz said, you can't constitutionally be held in contempt of Congress without a judicial order, yet that's exactly what they're trying to do. He also went on to make Navarro's arrest dangerous to democracy, dangerous through the rule of law, and dangerous to the concept of privilege, which it be whether it be a priest privilege or a doctor or a privileged lawyer privilege or an executive privilege. In other words, the very things that have been put in place through our laws to protect freedom and speech and a Republican form of democracy is actually being confronted by a intentional war there in the January 6th congressional, whatever you want to call them, assault team. Now, that's not all. Let's leave the United States for a moment, and let's go to Norway. Police officers in Norway have interrogated an officer an official for a feminist organization over her social media comments that said that a transgender, in this case a man posing as a woman, cannot be a lesbian. Now, this is fascinating. A woman interrogated by police for saying that males can't be lesbians. If I were to read to you the entire report here, you would be so confused, and rightly so because the arguments actually are utterly ridiculous and are revealing a reprobate mind that is engaged in the war against the creation order of God. It's unbelievable. Police in Norway interrogating an official of a feminist organization because she had the temerity to say in social media, that a man posing as a woman cannot be a lesbian. There's nothing that you can't be charged with anymore. Nothing. Rabbi David Fendel, there in Israel, the dean of a yeshiva, that is a seminary, has penned a letter in support of the dean of another seminary, 
who recently spoke out against LGBT organizations. He said, I've heard the impassioned words emerging from the pure heart of Rabbi Kushner, who begs people not to submit to the terrorist tactics used by LGBT organizations, which are seeking to destroy the sanctity of Jewish family life. The word destroy is the word waging war. They're seeking to wage war against the sanctity of Jewish family life. He said, where does this brazen chutzpah come from, which leads them to actually take pride in doing what the Torah forbids? It's like a person raising a flag and brags and said, I'm a proud Shabbat desecrator. (coughs) Excuse me. Or I commit adultery with a married woman. Ha, ha, ha. Look at me. Rabbi Hendel went on to say, how can someone with a Jewish heart entertain the idea of holding such a pride march specifically in Jerusalem and specifically in the three holy days leading up to the festival of Shavuot, which celebrates the giving of the Torah, that is Pentecost, as most uh, Westerners understand it. What this rabbi is saying is there is a war even in Israel, a massive war. And then we bring that same discussion back home where the National Football League, NFL, has hired their first transgender cheerleader. It's a war against God's creation ordinance, friends. That's what it is. In the beginning, God created male and female. Male and female created he them. And the world now says, we don't much like what God says. In fact, we're going to do it our own way. We have uh, more wisdom now. We have more knowledge. Uh, We're such a wonderful and important people that we don't need a God to tell us anymore. In fact, we don't even believe he exists. And if he did exist, he doesn't have anything to say to me or to us. Therefore, we are going to wage war against him by declaring our own superiority. So today on Viewpoint, the trumpet is giving a certain sound, not an uncertain sound, because you and I must be prepared for the battle. You say, well, how can I prepare for these kinds of battles? We're going to talk about that here on Viewpoint today. You see, it doesn't do any good just to talk about the issues. On this program, we use the issues as a means of bringing back to the mind and heart of we the people, particularly professing Christians, God's viewpoint concerning these issues and what we're to do about it. It's not a theory. We don't do theories here on this program. We don't do philosophies here on this program. We don't do political philosophies here on this program. We take a look at politics. We take a look at the economy. We take a look at uh, uh, all of the issues of our time. As you can see, just in what we've talked about already here in the first uh, 20 minutes of the program, and you can see we're going somewhere, but it's not just the information. God is not concerned whether you and I be informed, particularly unless that information leads us to some form of transformation to accomplish his purposes. And that's where we're going from here. So again, I welcome you aboard. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms. 
were sounding the trumpet, sounding the alarm. In fact, if you'll go back to uh, the times of the Revolutionary War, when uh, the wonderful song was written, he shall uh, sound forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. His truth is marching on. What an incredible song that is. And that verse is almost never sung. He is sounding forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. So, we must be swift to hear and swift to respond because his truth is marching on. Now, David, the psalmist, uh, incurred all of this kind of, of warfare in his 40-year reign over Judah and then Israel. In fact, if you were to turn to the book of Psalms, you would find increasingly, over and over again, David's cry to the Lord amid the various troubles, warfare, assaults of every kind, foreign and domestic, that he faced uh, in his rulership as king, who God said was a king, a man after his own heart. So I want to share with you the words from Psalm 3 and begin to encourage you and exhort you, much like a coach would exhort his team uh, facing a major, major opponent in a serious game that is to come. Except we're not in a game, friends. We're in the real deal. This is a battle for your soul. It's a battle for our country. But even more so, it's a battle for your soul and that of your families and pastors, your congregations. So here are the words of David. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they which say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. So I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. So arise, O Lord, and save me. Salvation belongs unto the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Do you, do you, can you relate to that? I think so. I think almost every professing, genuine professing Christian believer can relate to that. How are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that seem to rise up against me. Many are they that say of me, there's no hope for him in God. Mm. <clears throat> do you feel that way sometimes? I'll bet you do. I think a lot of pastors feel that way. The problem that we have, friends, is that we don't think like David. We don't think like David. We think more like the first king of Israel, Saul. Oh, yes, he was anointed by God, but he didn't follow the ways of God. He was fearful, even though he stood head and shoulders above all the people. 
Even though he was anointed by God, he was fearful. He was fearful of enemies, foreign and domestic. And he did not transfer his fear to faith in God. Rather, he transferred his fear to fleshly responses. He trusted the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. He trusted everything but God. And it ultimately resulted in God taking his Holy Spirit from him. That's true. The first king of Israel. So we have this contrast between King Saul and King David. God said of David, even though he wasn't perfect, that even though he understood the battles and occasionally lost a few battles, he turned and turned his heart and his mind to trust God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God called him a man after his own heart, so much so that he promised for eternity to place Yeshua, the Savior of the world, on his throne. Now, David won the battle. How about you? We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a For Pastors Only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. And I welcome you back to Viewpoint. On this program, we don't just bring before you the issues of the battle, but we provide the tools for the battle, the weapons for the battle, and what you and I as professing Christians must do and must be in order to win the battles that we're facing. And if you think we're facing battles now, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm, I'm sorry to have to put it that way, but it's true. I'm not, I don't look at things negatively. I look at things realistically from God's viewpoint. That's what God tells us. That's what Jesus told us. That's why Jesus said, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. He didn't mean he that lives to the end. He means he that does the warfare and the battle against wickedness, against evil in our time, and walks the life of genuine faith and righteousness and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord shall be saved. Is that you? If you don't think it's you right now, it needs to be you. And that's why we're doing this program here today. To encourage, to strengthen, to challenge. This is not, we're not living in a time that's an easy day for a lady. By the way, did you know, speaking of ladies, did you know that Joe Biden is wanting to have our women drafted? Did you know that? So I want to ask you a question. Men, pastors, fathers, grandfathers, and so on, 
Do you think that's a good idea? And why would he be interested in doing that? Is something happened to men in our time? Are we really going to trust the women to go in to do the battle that God has ordained for men to do in the physical realm? We all have to do spiritual battle, men and women alike. But God has ordained men for certain things. He's ordained women for certain things. But we're becoming very confused even when it comes to warfare, aren't we? And when the men fail, when the men shirk and become lacking in courage, then the women step up and take their place. So I want to ask you, dads, before we go any further, are you building your young men, whatever age they are, I don't care whether they're two years old or 22 years old, it doesn't matter. Because you have to start young. Are you building young men who are able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand to stand, having their loins girt about with truth? I'm not talking about taking them to church. That's fine. That's good. But that's not what God has called you to do primarily. He's called you to disciple, to prepare your children, my dear father, my dear grandfather, pastors. He's called us as men to prepare our sons and our daughters for the battle. Are you doing that? Before God and these witnesses, could you swear on the Bible and before God on the day of judgment that that's what you're doing? The majority of Christian men are not. They're forfeiting that responsibility, delegating it, transporting it off to their wives in the hope that somehow their wife or their Sunday school teacher or the youth leader or the pastor will take care of it for them. And God is going to hold men responsible because they're not. And if you think it's going to get easier, you've got another thing coming, my dear man friend. You, all of us as men, are going to have to stand up to the plate and get that the the sword of the spirit in our hands the shield of faith and learn how to use them and how to train our sons and daughters to wage spiritual warfare and to stand in the evil day and we're going to talk more about how to do that as we move on to the program today <clears throat> so in order to encourage you in that line I have written a book called Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts, or How to Leave a Legacy That Lasts. This is not like your average book on fathers. In fact, uh, Bill Federer, uh, many of you are aware of Bill Federer, best-selling author, he's on many programs around. He he calls this book a masterpiece, a must-read for every American with prophetic insight We uncover the overlooking issue of fatherlessness and its grave, devastating effect upon our country. He said there's no more urgent book that needs to be read, heeded, and taken to the heart than Hearts of the Fathers by Chuck Chris Meyer. Numerous other leaders in our country have talked about this. Even former Senator, uh, Congressman uh, Tom Coburn, Senator rather, 
He said, a book all men should read, whether a father or not. All right, here's the book. Hearts of the Fathers is a hardbound book, a $23 book, yours for $20 on our website. We've got Father's Day coming up in just a couple of weeks. There is no more important thing to happen in our country or in the church today than for God, by his spirit, to get a hold of the the hearts and minds of fathers and grandfathers. And pastors who are looked upon as fathers, spiritual fathers to their people, but are failing in the same way that fathers are failing because they're afraid of the people. There's no place for fear anymore, friends. The only place for fear is the fear of the Lord. Any other fear is an abomination to God. It will destroy your courage, and courage lost, all lost. The book, Hearts of the Fathers. Here is a book that is going to encourage, help you, every man, every father, every grandfather, how to lead and develop spiritual leadership in his own home, beginning with himself and his relationship with the Lord. I don't believe there's ever been another book written like it. I mean, just the front cover captures the heart of most women. Why? Because they yearn for their man to become the spiritual leader of their home. And they know that their husbands are not. And they're brokenhearted over it. What a book. $20 will put this hardbound book in your hands. A life-changing book. A nation-changing book. A a church and congregation-changing book. Get a copy in the hands of your pastor and youth pastor. This should be a pastor's best friend. Because pastors are, well... They've admitted to me over and over again the difficulty that they have in training up the men. This is a book for our time. It's for you. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. It's 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2. 3255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, Hearts of the Fathers, how to leave a legacy that lasts. A real legacy from God's viewpoint. Okay, let's go back to David right now. Psalm 27 is one of my favorites. In fact, it is so powerful that it's been put to one of the most classic musical pieces ever written for the church. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, I want to ask you rhetorically now, is the Lord really your light and your salvation? Can you really say like David, of whom then shall I be afraid? Or are you fundamentally ruled by fear? Fear of what people will say about you. Fear of your job. Fear of the government. Fear of this. Fear of that. Fear of the taxes. Fear fear of your congregation, friends. Fear has become one of the premier ruling forces in America today. Not faith, but fear. Not the fear of the Lord, but the fear of man. 
David goes on to say, the Lord is my strength, the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, and he shall set me up upon a rock. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is the strength, and he is the saving strength of his anointed. Such encouraging words. I urge you to go to the Psalms and encourage yourself as David did in God's own word. I urge you to do that. And now we shift. And now we shift to looking at the nature of our warfare. It's one thing to realize that we're in a battle. It's another thing to wage that battle from God's viewpoint. Now David did that. He didn't always do it perfectly, but his heart, God saw that his heart was firm to trust him and to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. David did not shrink back. David advanced against the enemy. And so we go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're all familiar with this passage We've heard it so many times, read it so many times, but we're going to revisit it right now. And it begins with these words in verse 10. Finally, my brethren. Finally. Well, yeah, after all the other things that Paul has been teaching to the church, he says, now, I want you to get this. I want you to get this down because this is what matters the most. It's about war. It's about sounding the trumpet that shall never call retreat. It's about getting ready for the final battle. Are you ready? Here we go. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they loved one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, how are we supposed to 
carry out those weapons? What are we supposed to do with them? Well, the first thing we're supposed to do, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, is we are to cast down every reasoning and thought, our imaginations, every imagination or reasoning and thought that disagrees with God's viewpoint. Just cast it down, trample it, get rid of it, annihilate it. Don't allow it to come into your frame of dealing. Because if you do, you will lose the battle. The weapons of our car of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but pull the uh, but the pulling down of many strongholds, casting down imaginations or reasonings and thoughts that come against the knowledge of God. In other words, that disagree with what God has said. Are you willing to do that? Few are willing these days. And then when they do, they're really trying to wage a culture war instead of a spiritual war. They miss the point. The point is, this is not primarily a culture war, friends. That's why we've lost the culture war, because we thought and portrayed it as a culture war. No, it is a spiritual war. That's the reason why I want you to listen very carefully. Since 19, the late 1970s, when uh, Jerry Falwell uh, began uh, his uh, uh, culture wars, and uh, when the uh, Pat Robertson got involved in it, and uh, uh, Jim Dobson and all of these guys became involved in the culture wars. What they did not do is present it as a spiritual war. What they did was try to present it as, well, this is not good for America. This is not good for our people. This is not good for our family. Well, that's true. But they didn't present God's authority. Why didn't they present God's authority? Because they thought it would sell or market better to the country. Guess what? It didn't. Because there was no biblical authority behind it. Then when it came time to really deal with biblical authority, when divorce became normative in the the mid-1970s, not only in the country but throughout the church, and then remarriage became normative, when Jesus had called it adultery, if your spouse was still living, those who were waging the culture wars never, ever, ever came against it. Instead, they came against homosexuality. Or they came against the breakdown of the family in general terms. No, that's not how God does it. God is specific. God says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. God says thou shalt not steal. God says thou shalt not bear false witness and so on. He's very, very specific. And it's because of his authority that this nation was born. It's because of his, uh, our abandonment of his authority that our nation is in deep trouble. Just as Congressman, uh, one of the congressmen down there in Texas announced at the end of last week. The problem is a moral problem. And a moral problem is a spiritual problem. 
But we don't want to talk about that because we say, well, our country isn't all that spiritually minded, so we're not going to talk about God's authority. We're going to talk about uh, all the ways that it might not be suited our country and so on. And may No, that's not how you do it. The time for reasoning with people comes after you have asserted authority. You have to come in the name of authority, not in spite of authority. So that's our problem. It's been our problem for a good 35, 40 years now. And so, as one of those leaders who was part of the major culture war, testified to me on national radio 10 years ago, we have already lost the culture wars. I knew that a long time ago. And actually warned those leaders with a trumpet call, not an actual trumpet, but a letter that went out to 300 of them by express mail to warn them of what they were doing, that they didn't listen. And now look where we are. It's time for those who really believe, those who really believe in spiritual warfare, those who really believe about the whole armor of God, to begin to trust God and exercise it. Now, that doesn't mean we're going, to, we're going to win huge culture war battles. We're not. Jesus said it wasn't going to happen. That's why he said, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. Because the war is so intense and so pervasive, not just in this country, but all over the world now, But it's in that context that you and I are called to stand, and having done all to stand, stand. All right, so what are we supposed to do when we stand? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Now, this is a metaphor. It's not talking about actual armor, because actual armor, if you look at a suit of armor, it's very cumbersome, very heavy, and will weigh you down. So this is a metaphor. King Saul tried to put that kind of armor on David to go fight Goliath. David put it on, and he says, no, I can't do this. This, I can't wage war like this. I trust God. So he took his little sling and five smooth stones and went after Goliath, who mocked him because he said, you come to me with stones and a sling, and I, I, I'm i going to take your head off. David said, ah, that's what you say, Mr. Goliath. But I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. This day I will take off your head. Notice David did not shrink in the battle. He knew that this was a battle of righteousness versus unrighteousness. This was a spiritual war. So David didn't put on the earthly armor. He already had put on the spiritual armor. He was trusting God. Do you know what one of the biggest problems we have in America today and in the church? We don't trust God. We don't trust God because we don't fear him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of how you're going to trust him. 
If you don't fear him, you won't obey him. If you don't obey him, you won't trust him. If you don't trust him, you won't obey him. You see the problem? It's a vicious circle. So when we're going to put on the whole armor of God, that we might be able to stand against the wiles or trickery of the devil, we have to begin with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. All the promises of God, every single one of them, including salvation itself, is predicated on the fear of the Lord. Would you like to know more about that? Because it's so fundamental to preparing for these end times? Then I urge you to get a copy of my book, The Secret of the Lord. Because the secret of the Lord is with them who fear him, and to them and them only will he manifest his covenant. I urge you to get a copy of the book, The Secret of the Lord. Again, it's a hardbound book. Uh, it's a $20 hardbound book, yours for $15, excuse me, yours for $18. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, The Secret of the Lord. It'll change your life. It'll change your viewpoint. It'll prepare you for the most, with the most essential foundation to be able to stand at the evil day. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, this is not just a culture war kind of a battle. This isn't just that kind of a battle. This is a serious spiritual battle. If you don't see it that way, you're going to lose. It's against powers, against the rulers of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, and we've already talked about the wickedness in high places. Whether it's Vladimir Putin, whether it's Joe Biden, uh, it doesn't matter. It's wickedness in high places. In Davos, Switzerland, with Klaus Schwab, and the move toward a new world order. All of that is massive wickedness in high places. Wherefore, because of that, take on the whole armor of God. Now, how do you do that? First of all, you got to have your loins girt about with truth. What is truth? Truth is what God says about the issues of life. It's found in his word. Don't just say, I believe the Bible. Read and study the Bible. Meditate on it. Show yourself to be a person worthy of trust. God's trust. Truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Yes, we need the helmet of salvation. That's not the only thing you need, though, friends. A lot of my Baptist friends out there think all you need is the helmet of salvation. No. Many people supposedly thinking they have on the helmet of salvation are going to die. They're not going to make it. They're not prepared. They do not understand it, have not been prepared by their, for their pastors to stand in the evil day. Above all, taking the shield of faith. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word. If God speaks, he means what he says, he says what he means, and I agree with it. And then I live accordingly. I adjust my life concordantly, no matter what anybody else in the culture is doing, no matter what the people in my congregation are saying, I still do what God says, no matter what. 
That's the only way we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Yeah, there are going to be some consequences. There are casualties in war, my friends. Are you prepared to stand? The trumpet is sounding, and it's not going to call retreat. God is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat even now. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. His truth is marching on. And then take the sword of the Spirit. That's the word of God. So the shield of faith is trusting the word of God. The sword of the Spirit is using the word of God against the wiles of the evil one. So the word of God is both defensive and offensive. And then, in the midst of it all, just like David, praying always, constantly calling out to the Lord, declaring your trust in him, just as David did. That's why we use those Psalms, Psalm 27 and Psalm, whatever it was, 9 or 13 today. Praying always, watching, watching thereunto with all perseverance. In other words, don't give up. Keep pressing on. Do not give up. If you shrink in the day of adversity, the scripture says, your faith is very small. We're in the day of adversity, friends. I face it. You face it. We're all facing adversity. Men, fathers, your children, your sons, your daughters are facing adversity like you never had to face. Are you really preparing them or are you playing footsie with the culture? Are you allowing the culture to train them or are you training them? Get a copy of the book, Hearts of the Fathers, How to Leave a Legacy That Lasts. It's a $23 hardbound book, life-changing, yours, for $20, right there on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Or get a copy also of The Secret of the Lord, Restoring the Fear of the Lord of God bless. Be a blessing. Stand, and having done all to stand, stand, my dear friend. Having your loins girt about with truth. Keep the faith. Never give up. Be strong and courageous. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.